This Spotlight podcast is sponsored by RSA Security. RSA offers business-driven security solutions that provide organizations with a unified approach to managing digital risk that hinges on integrated visibility, automated insights, and coordinated actions. RSA solutions are designed to effectively detect and respond to advanced attacks, manage user access control, and reduce business risk, fraud, and cybercrime. RSA protects millions of users around the world and helps more than 90% of the Fortune 500 companies thrive and continuously adapt to transformational change. For more information, go to rsa.com. Hello and welcome to a Spotlight edition of the Security Ledger podcast. I'm Paul Roberts, Editor-in-Chief of the Security Ledger. In this Spotlight edition of the podcast... And when you have these complex systems, number one, failures become inevitable. But number two, the impact of those failures can magnify significantly. In fact, a small failure in one part of a system can have a dramatic ripple effect in a completely different part of a system. More than three decades ago, RSA Security was one of the original entrants in an industry we now know as information security. The company, which was formed to help commercialize the revolutionary RSA public key encryption technology, became a pioneer in areas like data security identity management, and fraud detection. Three decades later, the information security landscape is a lot more crowded, while the security demands on companies are compounded by what is often referred to as digital transformation, an embrace of disruptive technologies like cloud computing, machine learning, artificial intelligence, and the Internet of Things. Where does that leave RSA? In this conversation, recorded at the recent RSA Charge Conference in Orlando, Florida, I spoke with Zulfikar Ramzan about how the company is gearing up to help manage the digital risk that goes along with digital transformation. In this conversation, Zulfikar and I talk about the conundrum that organizations are finding themselves in, unable to ignore or pass on digital transformation initiatives, but unsure about how those initiatives might introduce digital risk to their organizations. To start out our conversation, I asked Sulfakar to talk about the interplay between digital transformation and digital risk, and whether companies pursuing digital transformation initiatives are attuned to the risk implications of those initiatives. Sulfakar, welcome. Hey, thank you. It's always great to talk to you. Likewise. You gave a really interesting talk yesterday about Mm -hmm. some of the interesting work that um, your group is doing within RSA, Mm -hmm. uh, development and research around some of the problems. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess at a high level, uh, two of the terms that I've heard a lot here at RSA Charge Mm -hmm. are digital transformation. Right. And it's twin digital risk. And um, I think the the message pretty clearly Mm -hmm. is digital transformation is happening Mm -hmm. across industries. It's really important. Uh, Many companies and organizations are embracing digital transformation. Mm -hmm. But the digital risk goes along with that in ways that might be hard for companies to understand or detect Right. In, as they're pursuing these really interesting new projects and technologies. Mm-hmm. Um, talk just a little bit about that and kind of what RSA's message is to companies around how to understand what digital risk is. Right. So I think, I think you hit the nail on the head. These two terms go hand in hand. As organizations embrace new technologies, as they become more digital, more and more aspects of their traditional business risk actually become some form of digital risk. Right. So let's say you're embracing a new technology, you know, where let's say it's artificial intelligence in your environment. You've got to think about the fact that if I have AI, that means I need to maybe have data that my algorithms can process. 
that data is in one place, mm -hmm. I've got to worry about a set of issues. Like what happens if somebody steals that data? What happens mm -hmm. if somebody modifies that data slightly? And as a result, the decisions I make based off of that data are now incorrect and impact what's happening downstream. And so there is this law sometimes of unintended consequences. We sometimes bring you technology I've in. I've heard of that law. Yes. Yeah, I think there was uh, my, my, my very wise uh, boss, uh, Rohit Guy, uh, talked yeah. about that in his keynote. And I, I heard it's a very good career move to compliment your boss in front of as many people as possible. Uh, but I think you know, he's he spot on that these things come up. There's also kind of another angle around digital risk and digital transformation, which is that people, when they engage in any form of new technology adoption are effectively engaging with the unknown. Mm -hmm. In our relationship with the unknown, there's a, a term for that, which is trust. Mm -hmm. You know, how much are we willing to trust what we see when we don't fully understand it? Yeah. And the way we sometimes get past the trust barrier is by mitigating risk. Right. So if we're able to mitigate risk and put compensating controls in place, we may be able to get to a point where the risk of adopting a new technology becomes acceptable. Right. And that to me is really crucial. So I believe that RSA's role in this whole play on, on digital transformation is to ensure that we provide some of the risk compensating controls and the ability to mitigate risk so that our customers can more fully embrace digital transformation, which they need to do to become successful sure. in an increasingly competitive economy. Right, right. Yeah, you can't pass on digital transformation, right? right. You can't it's say, not optional yeah, anymore. We're not going to do that. We're just right. going to keep doing things the old way. Exactly. One of the interesting connect more about Rohit's talk, which is also really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, he he talked about um, digital transformation in the context of like climate change. Right. Um, really saying that digital transformation, like climate change, is mm -hmm. is this sort of system wide change. You know, it's right. like one discrete thing. It's mm -hmm. many things at once, and it's kind of an. It, it enhances or accelerates other phenomena. So we talked about right. like forest fires or hurricanes. Mm -hmm. You know, there have always been forest fires. There have always been hurricanes. Climate change just makes them much more intense, right. potentially much more damaging and severe mm -hmm. than they would have been otherwise. Right. Um, similarly with digital transformation and digital risk, right? Mm -hmm. Digital risks have already been there. Digital transformation makes them much bigger. Or, or, you know, as yeah. you kind of look out there now at the types of cybersecurity incidents that mm -hmm. we're seeing and that are getting, you know, making headlines and mm -hmm. so on, um, where are we in that curve? Are we already in an, in an acute phase where we're having, you know, m mega breaches and so on as a result of digital transformation? Or are we kind of more early stage? Meaning, on the one hand, we could steer around this problem. Right. Or on the other hand, the problem could actually get much worse than it is even today. Yeah, I, I think we're in a very, maybe a precipitous point, so to speak, in, in where we are, where we, we could kind of land in either direction. Right. Um, people are embracing new technology, but fully understanding sometimes the risks and challenges that come with embracing that technology. They may not yep. be updating their risk models or thinking about how to do business differently as a result of having new technologies in place. Uh, so for example, let's say you start to employ you know, a third-party cloud service, right. like one of these infrastructure service vendors. You've got to think about you know, who's managing the keys to access those resources. How are you managing that storage? And how are you thinking about updating configurations? Very basic issues, issues we've known about in the, in the traditional on-prem world. We've got to make sure we put the right compensating controls in this new cloud world. Right. So when I talk to customers, I mean, everybody's talking about some form of their journey to the cloud. Uh, and I think there's many different aspects of that journey. Mm -hmm. Obviously, with an RSA's purview, um, we're trying to enable our customers to make that journey successfully and safely and sanely, so to speak, right. uh, by providing the ability to gauge visibility to what's happening in their environments, by providing the right compensating controls around mitigating risk. Uh, and ultimately, our goal is to enable them to be successful in their endeavors. 
You're listening to a Spotlight podcast sponsored by RSA Security. RSA offers business-driven security solutions that provide organizations with a unified approach to managing digital risk that hinges on integrated visibility, automated insights, and coordinated actions. RSA solutions are designed to effectively detect and respond to advanced attacks, manage user access control, and reduce business risk, fraud, and cybercrime. RSA protects millions of users around the world and helps more than 90% of the Fortune 500 companies thrive and continuously adapt to transformational change. For more information, go to rsa.com. And you and your talk talked about some of these sort of skunk work projects or internal mm-hmm. projects that you're working on. One of them was around the problem of third-party risk, which right. is something that, uh, just as a security reporter, I'm writing about and hearing mm-hmm. about a lot these days. You talked about this project called 3PP? Yes. 3PP. Can you talk just a little bit about what that is and mm-hmm. uh, what uh, how it, RSA is trying to help its customers with third-party risk? Yeah, so that's, that's a wonderful question. I think when you look at the world today, uh, no organization exists in an island into itself, right? Every organization is part of a much more vastly interconnected system. And when you have these complex systems, number one, failures become inevitable. Mm. But number two, the impact of those failures can magnify significantly. In fact, a small failure in one part of a system can have a dramatic ripple effect in a completely different part of a system. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you look at a lot of our customers, they're engaging more and more with third parties, whether it's a SaaS provider or an IaaS vendor or just any part of what happens across their supply chain. Sure. And Shadow IT. Shadow IT is a phenomenal example of that, right. by the way. Yes, right. a- absolutely. And I think what ends up happening is that part of your risk posture has to involve accounting for the risk posture of the people you depend on mm-hmm. in, in many ways. You know, for example, when you look at the, the stuff that happened with Eternal Blue mm-hmm. and WannaCry, mm-hmm. uh, everyone focuses on the companies who were the victims of ransomware directly because they had massive losses. What people don't account for are the customers of those victims who also yes. had massive losses because they could not rely on the goods and services they needed sure. from their vendors. Yeah. Uh, and actually, that happens all the time. Uh, and in fact, in many cases, the, the reciprocal or, the, or rather the residual loss that comes um, after the fact, the ripple effect, can be much more profound and pronounced than the original loss itself. Uh, and so one of our focus areas for RSA Labs was to build out essentially a third-party portal that integrates with RSA Archer where you can create an, a, a risk questionnaire in RSA Archer, mm-hmm. press a button to publish a questionnaire to the cloud, and enable all your third-party vendors to answer questions. They, in turn, can delegate questions mm-hmm. to other people if they don't know the answers directly. And more importantly, the process is significantly easier to manage than it used to be. So historically, by the way, this problem was solved by people literally putting questionnaires in Excel and yes. emailing Excel spreadsheets out. So that's the world we were coming from. One told me they literally would like email the spreadsheet back, and then they would talk to somebody on the phone and verbally give the answers and they would have this protocol over the phone of confirming if the answers were correctly input back into the system. Okay. Uh, so, so this is an area that it's a blue ocean, in my mind, uh, yeah. of opportunity. Uh, and once you start putting your data in the cloud, once you start kind of thinking about your data models in a, in a more rigorous fashion, mm. you can start to apply all these wonderful analytical techniques, machine learning techniques, uh, natural language processing, which is in many ways kind of a, a parts of it are kind of a subdivision of, of, of machine learning, which itself yes. is a subdivision of AI. And yes, so right. you can do quite a bit in terms of, of moving the ball forward in these areas. It's really interesting because mm-hmm. you're right. And, and, and I think this is third party versus one of these areas where we're seeing a pretty rapid shift from some from a practice that was mm-hmm. seemed to be very compliance focused, right? Like, right. well, because of this regulation, we mm-hmm. need to do these surveys and collect them from our customers and have them on file, and right. and therefore we're compliant. You know, we can right. kind of check that checkbox to a much more risk focus, which is 
well, actually, those servers have really useful information for us that yes. we want to actually ingest mm -hmm. and make some decisions based on. Absolutely. It's not just about fulfilling the, the checkbox right. requirement. It's actually about using the information. Right. Do you see companies kind of at that point ready to move into that new world of actually making that data actionable? Mm -hmm. um, or, or are they still more in the sort of like, we just... You know, we want to streamline the process of getting the survey completed. Well, I think I think companies have no choice but to move in that direction. Yeah. Uh, to me, if you think about what's happening in the regulatory landscape with uh, regulations like GDPR, which yeah. has significant teeth now that we're seeing massive fines. Yeah. You know, California has the Consumer Privacy Protection Act. Right. Um, the CCPA, and these pieces of legislation are really putting a clear dollar amount, or a monetary amount rather, on what happens if you get risk wrong. Right. And so if you want to get risk right, so to speak, you have to think about not just your own risk posture, but the, the posture of the people you connect to. Right. And so I think people can't afford to ignore third-party risk any longer. Right. Uh, they can't afford to use outdated methods to deal with third-party risk. They can't afford just to collect a bunch of data and hope it's going to work. Right. They have to be able to glean meaningful insights out of that data to go from knowledge to wisdom. Right. And that's really where I think we can play a pivotal role in being able to enable our customers to successfully navigate this domain of third-party risk. Right. There are all these companies now that offer third-party risk monitoring services. Mm -hmm. And I know that RSA works with Risk Recon. Uh -huh. Strikes me like those are necessary but not sufficient. So, you, right. so those are services you absolutely want to mm -hmm. use, but don't confuse them with kind of comprehensive third-party risk. Right, management. right. No, I think and you're bringing up an excellent point, which is that, um, and, you know, and with, with, uh, with Risk Recon, I was involved very early in, in, in that partnership and investment that we made mm -hmm. uh, in them as a startup mm -hmm. because we found this space, again, it was a blue ocean area yeah. where a lot of the approaches that have been tried in the past are just so woefully inadequate, yeah. and almost any attempt to do something meaningful, I thought was going to have a big impact, even if it was not complete into itself. Yeah. Uh, what they do really well is they're really good at being able to do continuous monitoring. So how do I right. look at what's happening right. frequently, update very frequently, uh, do it from an external vantage point? Mm -hmm. And now that, that approach has a lot of benefits in terms of continuity. Mm -hmm. uh, the limitation of that approach is that you're limited in what you can actually analyze continuously. So right. that by definition, uh, you know, you're not going to be able to do everything. Right. Uh, the questionnaire type approach, I think if done correctly with a third-party portal, gives you a lot of the breadth, mm -hmm. but it lacks some of the continuity. Right. And we believe there's an opportunity to start bridging those two elements together. What if we could take some of the continuous elements that we yeah. see and bridge that into the questionnaire model and right. automatically answer certain questions and right. ensure that our customers, vendors, aren't bogged down with dealing with these questionnaires. In fact, I was talking to one of our customers yesterday and they were telling me when they procure something from a vendor, the long pole, so to speak, in that tent is the amount of time it takes for the vendor to fill out all these questionnaires and do all the risk assessment stuff. Yes. And that's delaying our customers from being able to yes. acquire the tools and technologies they need right. to move their own business forward. Right. So this has become a clear business impediment for them that we're trying to help them solve. And so we also want to make it easier for their vendors to handle these questionnaires, to manage it better, to not spend all their time answering questions that they've already answered 37 times in the past. Right, there's a lot sort of, of reproduced, right? So you're answering yeah. the same set of questions for all these different vendors, mm -hmm. you know, doing the same work in essence over and over again. Exactly. And, and the scale of this, it's like as these third-party relationships multiply, that work, it's like there's a there's almost like a exponential increase in the amount of work. So I know yes. we, I was on a panel the other day uh, with one of your customers who will not be named, talked about doing um, close to 800 of these 
third-party assessments for their third parties right. every year. So <laughs> how many work days are there in a year? And right. you figure you're doing multiple, two or three a day on average. Yeah, yeah and I'll give you, you know, and that, that creates serious problems like, because people can't even process the information at that level. So for right. example, we had a customer and they had asked as part of one of the third-party assessments, their vendor, whether or not their um, data center was SOC 2 compliant. Okay. Uh, and so, okay, well, the vendor said yes. And he said, okay, well, uh, please leave us a copy of your report. And it turns out the vendor was lying. And when they were asked for a copy of the report, right. they gave a blank Microsoft Word document, hmm. uh, which uh, took a while <laughs> to figure out. It's a very small print, it's actually. It's just, just so <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and, and, and you know, these kind of things do happen. And, yeah. and that begs the question of how often is that happening? Yeah. Because not everybody's able to look at everything every time. Right. Uh, and again, that's a place where we can apply right. a lot of well-known techniques in machine learning. For sure. example, within natural language processing, we can look at a document and say, does it even resemble a SOC 2 report. And what that at least forces it, you know, look, you can game some of these systems. I'm not going to pretend that machine learning is a panacea like, like others do. But at the same time, I think it, it provides, a slightly, I think, a much higher bar. So at least forces sure. somebody, if they're going to try to cheat you, they have to be much more intentional about it. They can't claim, oh, Mia Copa, I, I meant to send you the real SOC 2 report, but I, you know, right. sent you this wrong document instead. Right. Now, in this case, the malfeasance will be much more intentional. And you'll be on top of it much more quickly instead yeah. of saying, oh, yeah, you sent that. And then two weeks later, you open and say, oh, it's a blank document. Exactly. You know, now we're back to square one. With it. Exactly. Yeah. So I think it, it creates more liability for the, uh, the vendors to be honest. Uh, and, and more importantly, it allows our customers to manage risk better. So one of the other topics uh, you brought up was, of course, Internet of Things and right. um, the challenge that that poses. You were saying in your talk, which I thought was really interesting, that you know that the IoT problem is really just a subset of a larger problem for mm -hmm. enterprises anyway, which is sort of an asset management, asset tracking problem. And this is something also that RSA is working on. You've got mm -hmm. a couple different programs. Right. I think one is Iris mm -hmm. and uh, Big Big Bang is Big the other Bang. One? Yes. Okay. We, so you know, we talk to... about talk about those. Yeah, so obviously very, very presumptuously named Big Bang, but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's very modest. Yeah, need, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that so we have two, two problems we're looking at. On, on the IoT side, a lot of our customers say, look, we're, we're either engaged in an IoT project now, we have IoT devices in the field, mm -hmm. but, but no one's really monitoring those devices from a variety of perspectives, in terms sure. of device, not just device health, but are they behaving correctly? Are they, are they behaving safely? Are they being compromised? Uh, and, and we actually develop some technology that can help monitor IoT devices. Now, the way this works is, is the way people think about monitoring devices is typically to put something directly on the device itself, which may not actually work in the case of an IoT device, because oftentimes these customers say, look, we don't want to touch, the device has been out there for a while, I don't want to touch it. Yeah. Or these devices are heterogeneous and makes it very difficult to go out there and put a piece of code that's going to work across all these different devices. Right. What we also realize is a lot of people use a concept known as the edge gateway, where they'll have their IoT devices communicate to a common gateway that acts as a conduit by which those devices then connect to the rest of the internet. Yeah. And so we said, what if we actually start monitoring the gateway more deeply? Now we have a ton of DNA and RSA and how to monitor devices effectively. And by having that sort of depth of visibility, that fine-grained resolution of what's happening at the gateway level, we in turn can get quite a lot of visibility into all the devices downstream that connect to that gateway. Not to be confused with perfect visibility, but oftentimes we get 80, 90% of the value, but for a fraction of the cost of deployment. Uh -huh. And that is something customers are super excited about. And so that's Project Iris and, and you know, kind of a call to arms in Project Iris. If any of you are listening out there, you know, we are trying to figure out how to commercialize this project. We would love to have design partners and people to work with in this area. When we're talking about IoT mm -hmm. in the enterprise and as you are working and talking to RSA's customers, mm -hmm. um, what are we talking about these days? I mean, obviously, we think about the surveillance cameras, right, right. and the you know networked printers and the whole range of different devices. But what does the IoT in the enterprise context look like in 2019? 
Right. And I think you're, you're, you're alluding to a very important point, which is that it, it's so varied, right? Yeah. IoT devices can be anywhere from smart dust all the way to, you know, mm -hmm. large devices on a manufacturing floor somewhere. And given, again, that heterogeneity of IoT, that's what makes it challenging to, to think about managing IoT devices. And so from our perspective, if the first goal is can we collect the right data from those devices right. and understand what they're doing. Right. So we put that data in a common cloud backend. And then can we apply analytics in the backend to identify what's going on with those devices? The neat thing is we've built a system that makes it very easy for us to put in new analytical models mm -hmm. on top of the data we collect. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, we're able to make and deliver interesting insights for our customers and, and customize some of those insights based on, on their specific needs. Right. Now, now, quite frankly, you know, our, our team in RSC Labs loves thinking kind of far ahead. And sometimes we try to solve these really, really complex problems. When the reality is our customers got a much more basic problem that nobody's addressing for them. And that's why we have this sort of deep customer engagement model because sometimes we find out, oh yeah, we, we can solve that problem. We right. already know how to do this more crazy problem. So we're able to take some of the work we've done and adapt it directly for a customer setting. Right. Uh, and that's been phenomenally exciting. I mean, just getting a chance to work with some of these organizations and seeing the scale of what they're trying to do and how important it is for them to be able to manage IoT correctly. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, am, I cannot be more excited about that particular area. A number of your answers you've talked about mm -hmm. Um, applying machine learning, natural right. language processing, mm -hmm. you know, AI, which this is kind of the, um, the special sauce and a lot of product advancements and developments right. that are going on. Right. How do you see um, AI just in the projects that you're working on with your group? Uh, how do you see machine learning really working its way into the RSA uh, product set and mm -hmm. also helping to automate in many cases or reduce the workload that customers yeah. have uh, in, in leveraging these technologies. Right, so I think the most interesting thing with machine learning is that it's gotten a lot of hype recently, but the concept has been around for a long time. In fact, the term machine learning was coined in 1959 by an AI pioneer named Arthur Samuel. Mm -hmm. And he was looking at it in the context of, of dividing a program that could play checkers by self-learning effectively. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so actually the RSA was one of the first vendors to even use machine learning in production environments. I think going back to about 2005 or so, so I think about a decade and a half almost, where we were using machine learning techniques to provide protection against fraud in right. banks. Right. And by the way, that's a serious environment. If you get that wrong, if you make a mistake, right. if you fail to adequately protect against fraud, your customer's gonna notice right away. Right. And, and so we were forced to learn how to do it correctly. Uh, and I think a lot of companies today are talking about machine learning, but they're they're so short-sighted in how they look at the problem. They're, they're yes. really focused on the marketing part of it. And, and here's my algorithm and my neural network is bigger than your neural network and that sort of thing. And, and <laughs> it, it is not. Yeah, and, you know, it, it's amazing. And, yeah. and my, my, when I see that happening, I take a step back and say, look, nobody's correct here because it's not actually not about the network at all. Right. You start with data. Right. That's the most important facet of machine learning. If you don't have good data, everything is garbage in, garbage out. You can't make good wine from bad grapes. You can't make, I don't know, good coffee from bad beans, depending on your culinary analogy. Mm -hmm. Pick it. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, it's, it's really about data in the first place. The second key element of machine learning is about looking at the right elements of that data, the right signals, so to speak, the right features, as we call them, machine learning. Right. And for that, you need domain expertise to say, look, these are the key areas you should hone in on. Right. Uh, because you can't just look at unstructured data and magically wave a wand and expect great insights. Uh, and so that's the second area where we really excel because we've had the domain expertise in these areas for many, many years. And then and only then do you care about the algorithm you choose. And quite frankly, I am not a big fan of people who choose overly complex algorithms because when those algorithms fail to do the right thing, it's hard to tell when they're masked in obscurity and complex mathematics. You know, I don't want to have to go to a customer and start explaining, you know, maximum margin separation or, you know, transfer functions in neural networks when I can. But that's not something we should be involving customers with. Right. What our goal is how do we provide clarity of exposition of what's going on underneath the hood? Right. Now, by the way, RSA, now I think across all its product lines, 
leveraging machine learning techniques. And we have been for some time. You know, RSA NetWitness years ago put in capabilities for detecting new threats. Right. In fact, some of those capabilities were used, uh, and I was actually present when it happened, to detect nation state level of attack on a government uh -huh. by another government. And that was detected again using some of our technology. Um, we saw the same thing happen in the identity space. We've seen the same thing happen more recently in the GRC space or IRM space rather uh, with RSA Archer. So some mm -hmm. of the stuff we announced a charge involved things like the ability to do regulatory content analysis using natural language processing before people would manually look at regulatory content right. and try to remember where they saw that content or similar content before and try to map controls to the content. It turns out you can solve a lot of that by just being able to say, look, it looks like this sentence kind of maps closely to this other sentence here. And by building those bridges, we can simplify the time of the analyst by, I would say, maybe two orders of magnitude. Uh -huh. So again, really exciting areas where we can apply machine learning for real right? and solve real customer problems and pain points. But also some challenges as well, right? Yes. So, uh, and I know you know, heard customers talking about, you know, how do we, how do we as a customer mm -hmm. know to, to trust what the machine learning algorithms are telling us, right. that the data, you know, that the decisions that they're recommending are the right ones for us. Yeah. So those are things that, that are going to be part of the shaking out of this technology. Yeah, in fact, we have a great project going on right now in RSA Labs uh, that looks at this problem for RSA Secure ID. Uh -huh. And so one of the things we have in RSA Secure ID, one of our key differentiators is something we call the risk engine, which is you know when you authenticate yourself, typically you type in a username or password of maybe a, a token value or soft token value or maybe put a biometric in and so on and so forth. But that's a very small snapshot of, of who you might be, right. so to speak. What we've done over time is we've looked at a bunch of other attributes of that transaction. You know, where did you come from? What IP address were you using? What do we know about the characteristics of the device that you used to make that transaction? Right. And we can form a much more holistic picture that you are who you say you are. Right. Moving just not just into the dom domain of, of authentication, but kind of moving beyond that into what I think of as identity assurance. How do I have that assurance that this is Paul Roberts at this moment in time? Right. Uh, and so uh, this concept of the risk engine was extremely powerful. We, we juxtaposed that with, with how critical assets are and what, what application you're logging into and figure out the appropriate level of, of risk mitigation to put in place. The challenge is it's a complex concept to explain to customers, right? And, and trying to get that um, across the, the, the board, so to speak, given the complexity, is something that, that our sales team will struggle with. Uh, yet it's a key differentiator for us. So we mm -hmm. actually built within RSA Labs a technology that we call the Risk Engine Visualization, or mm -hmm. REV, REV. Yep. Uh, which basically puts a visual front end on top of the Risk Engine. Uh, and it's been phenomenally exciting to see how customers just really get the ideas now. They can see where the riskiest groups are, how they should adjust some of their policies, and how they should be thinking about authentication and identity and access management in their realm. Right. And so we're making the machine learning not just be this thing that's in the back office and hidden, we're making it come to life. Sure. And I think this is, in many ways, a first step across the board in this area, because this is an area where, where quite frankly, we can't, we have to stop calling machine learning magic and, and so on and so forth. It, it is not magic. There's underlying mathematics. If you understand how they work, everything actually is it's not, it's not that complicated. Our goal is to provide the, the, the pictures, a thousand words, so to speak, explanation of what's going on, so you don't have to use a thousand words every time. Right. One of the amazing things is we were just we've been talking for about 20, 30 minutes now. Right. We just got started talking about authentication and identity right. at the very end of our conversation, yes. which I think is reflective of how big a company yes. RSA is and how many different things that you're working on. Identity and authentication are a huge mm -hmm. part of it, but mm -hmm. there's so much else as well. Yeah, you know, it's, we've been around now for 35 plus years, and yeah. I, I keep telling people that our success as an organization was predicated on our ability to understand market discontinuities and ride them and be able to identify when we have to disrupt ourselves and when we have to expand our market scope.
Sure. And so that to me has been tremendously exciting and I can't wait to see what the next 35 years bring. Sulfikar Ramzan, CTO of RSA Security. Thank you so much for coming in and talking to us on the Security Ledger. Absolutely. Always a pleasure, Paul. Same here. You've been listening to a Spotlight podcast sponsored by RSA Security. RSA offers business-driven security solutions that provide organizations with a unified approach to managing digital risk that hinges on integrated visibility, automated insights, and coordinated actions. RSA solutions are designed to effectively detect and respond to advanced attacks, manage user access control, and reduce business risk, fraud, and cybercrime. RSA protects millions of users around the world and helps more than 90% of the Fortune 500 companies thrive and continuously adapt to transformational change. For more information, go to rsa.com. 